So, this is Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Spiders, man. You can't live with them. You can't live without them. Spider-Man. Oh. Yeah, look at this. Oh, no. Spider-Man is in Toronto, yeah. (laughs) Yes, he's a a Canuck. That was the the, uh, original... Uh, the original Spider-Man was a Canuck. He had a Canadian maple leaf on his uh, spider logo. Instead. He didn't even wear a costume. It was just the jersey for the maple leaves. Everyone is just so polite in Canada. They're like, oh, I know your your secret identity, but I won't tell anyone, eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like It's like Fargo, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, the villains are like, oh, well, we know it's Peter Parker. Maybe we should murder his girlfriend. They're like, hey, now, whoa, that seems a little well, out a of the way. too much. <laughs> Let's at least buy the guy some breakfast first. Yeah, we can give him a stern talking to first. <laughs> Let's look the man in the eyes and see if he needs to meet a girl. Well, with us today, recurring, ret- returning guest and not a spider. Yes. Brian Rowland. Correct. I am not a spider. Um, even, by the, even by the logic of this movie, I am not a spider, which is something that I'm sure we'll get into later. Yeah. Um, yes, it was it's memorable. me of the two-timers club that's Very a bad t- name because if someone's a two-timer oh no yeah that means that they're that's like genetic. untrustworthy and a, a like a cheater like jake gyllenhaal in this movie like uh, one of him he's a two-timer <laughs> in more ways than one i do uh, oh, okay man, so in, the, in that case it's the best possible name <laughs> uh, it goes both ways i texted clay this earlier today and i want a poster of anime, a movie I love, to have um, Jake Gyllenhaal and his arm is around to Jake Gyllenhaal and it's like starring Jake Gyllenhaal and dot 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 Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> it's like um, uh, that Eddie Murphy movie. Um, oh yeah, Doctor Doolittle. No, 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 no. You're thinking uh, of the Night professor, professor and, and yeah, the <laughs> yeah, they then made fun like, of in Tropic Thunder with uh, Jack Black playing uh, something like Jake Portnoy, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have the trailer for the fats, and it's like Jake Portnoy, <laughs> Jake Portnoy, Jake Portnoy. And Jake Portnoy. <laughs> That's so oh, my goodness. Yeah, and then you get like Melanie Laurent and Sarah Gaten, and they're like pointing at each other. Like, hey. <laughs> oh, we're not so different. You and I. One of them points, and the other one's like, you know, doing the, I don't know, expression yeah. with her hands in the air. Just or make like it a, look like a romantic comedy for some reason. Arm cross and an eye roll, like, yeah. <laughs> it looks like Bewitched. It's like. <laughs> Just is like the complete wrong t- poster for this movie. Right. <laughs> well, this it's is like a- that French poster yeah. for Parasite. It's like <laughs> right on the steps. It's like a wacky comedy. Well, Enemy. That's that's that is the film that we are discussing today. Denis Villeneuve's. Mm. What is this? Is like this is is this his first American film? No, Prisoners. Was Prisoners first? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, prisoners was his his uh, transition to the English language, and I think this came out in the same year. Interesting. No, I think this. So, from what so, I understand, is theatrically like it released wide at 2014, even though it premiered at festivals in 2013. 
Correct. So I think that this movie was produced before Prisoners. But this movie was released wide after Prisoners. That makes sense. It's um, according to IMDb, this was released, even though it says enemy 2013, it says it was released the 6th of February, 2014. Yeah, there's always those kind of movies. Um, and then Prisoners was apparently released 30 September, 2013. Yeah. And technically, this isn't an American film. It is technically a Canadian film, even though it's it has 100% American. Canadian. This is like the one movie I know of where they filmed it in Toronto and we're just actively like, yes, you are in fact in <laughs> Toronto. I can't think of another one. Isn't that fun? Yeah. And that's where um, so much like all of the all of network television is filmed in Vancouver. Yeah, like every X Files episode was like in Vancouver. Every US <laughs> show, every CW show, they're all filled filmed in Vancouver. I think uh I mean obviously Denis is French Canadian, so he has some some kind of connection to filming his Home turf. Toronto's in Ontario. It's not. I don't think it is French Canada. Mm. So I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like. I think I have reasons that I believe that this movie was specifically set in Toronto and actually like framed to be Toronto. If that mm. makes sense. I wonder if it was Toronto in the in the source novel or the short uh, story. I don't know. Uh, I think Saramago is. Portuguese, but like blindness, which I read is is just in a nameless city. It's like he I don't know if that goes to all of his novels, but the one that I have read, they he made a point of like making it every city the world. Mm. So Yeah, because you can't I guess maybe it would be buying yourself down and trying to like not be known for a thing. Like John Hoot Hughes is known for chicago just so chicago something like that <laughs> so, um, so wait denis is from quebec right am yes. i making that up okay yeah, and this takes place yeah. in toronto okay okay okay, okay. yes yeah, so he's uh it. he moved <laughs> um do we remember the first time that we first saw enemy I certainly do. Um, it was it was a it was a, a movie that we actually did on my podcast the film stage show Oh, let's um, plug. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, and it was it was kind of like, hey, you know that guy who did that movie Prisoners that you enjoyed more than you thought you would? He made like this little other movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Do you want to talk about it? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I really liked Prisoners. And then I watched Enemy. I was like, who is this man that is now my favorite working director who's not like Terrence Malick or Martin Scorsese yeah. or one of the old guard, you know? Um, I had to, I watched it on a computer which was unfortunate um but then it was actually playing at a movie theater near me and i like made the trip to go and see it in the theater specifically because i was like i don't know if i can trust my computer to render these colors faithfully mm. so you saw this in 2014 yeah it was like uh right at the the week of release i think yeah so i definitely i saw it whenever it was going as wide as it went which you know was not <laughs> Not that wide. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine so. Yeah. Do you remember when you first saw it, Jack? Um, I think I'm like Brian that I saw Prisoners first, or maybe this was first and then Prisoners was second. It was definitely these two in order in some some kind of order. 
and yeah i think it was from one of those websites that was like 10 movies that'll blow your mind (laughs) and it's like 10 movies you gotta search youtube to figure out like whoa and i was just getting into movies at that time and i was like okay well i guess i guess i'm ready to be challenged you know like i'll just i think i'm still sort of that way too that i'll just watch anything if it has Mm. enough going for it um that i i think that I think will validate that interest. But yeah, and I, and I saw this and it's just like, my gosh, this was like, it was like a puzzle that I knew I had all the pieces there, but I knew some of them couldn't connect. And I was, yeah, I was fascinated. I was blown away. And yeah, and it's probably, I saw this first and then I went and checked out Prisoners. So it's kind of like the opposite of you now that I'm thinking about it. This wasn't your first Denis film, was it? It was my first Denis. Really? What? Yeah, yeah. You saw this before, like, Sicario? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Wait, wait, so what year did you watch it? Well, let's go find out. I knew I did not watch Sicario in 2015. Interesting. Yeah. For for me, every every Denis Villeneuve film I have watched at the time of release. Um, You know, all, all the, all I should say, all the American were like post-american ones so prisoners yeah, enemies sicario yeah okay interesting yeah. i saw this so i saw this in 2017 um i don't know if i really knew much going into it i just knew it was denis i was already getting into denis um it's 2017 and it, it, it looks like i just lo- i logged it in april so that so that was before blade runner 2049 so i must have seen arrival and Sicario. I might have saw Prisoners before that too. But I know I was like I first saw my first Denis film was Sicario, a film we'll probably talk about later mm-hmm. on this podcast. But and I was like, oh wow, this is like dope. This is like really like it's when I first learned or like first realized, oh yeah, cinematography, it's like a thing. You know, it's like, oh, this is like an important part of movies and it contributes so much. And that's when I'm like, oh, Roger Deakins, this is a person I need to know. Yeah. And so that kind of introduced me to a lot. Um, then 2016, Arrival is like my favorite movie of that year, a movie that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it really cemented my love for Amy Adams. And so like, I'm just like, wow, Denis, this is the guy. Um, this is very exciting. He's a filmmaker that I feel like it was one of the first few filmmakers I felt like, oh, I'm alive. You know, this is I'm alive to see this man become um, become one of the best to be like, oh, this is a director who I, in front of my eyes is prospering and getting better and, um, getting more acclaim. And it, I felt like, I didn't feel ownership, but I felt like a connection in the sense of, I don't want to say he's the next Scorsese, but he felt like my Scorsese at that moment Mm -hmm. of just like, I'm witnessing, uh, a great filmmaker and I'm fully, and now I'm fully comprehended, like not fully, but like, I'm getting more understanding of film and the importance of auteurs and directors and all of that. And so then we don't have ownership I... over him. Like Brian has ownership over Ryan Johnson. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> that is correct. I mean, that, that's true. That's true. Let's be fair. Right. He has a lease too. Like he has like paperwork. <laughs> yeah. All like I own Ryan Johnson. It's you and Karina Longworth that are like vying over him. Well, I mean, she's clearly one, but you know, <laughs> only because I let her. I it's know. only the battle, not the war. You know, uh, um, yeah, no, but like, yeah, yeah, I don't, 
so when I saw I saw Enemy, I think I just watched it because it was Denis and I heard like Jake's in it and that's about it. I think I vaguely knew about the double stuff, but and it was I f- remember it being like one of the first films where I'm like I have no idea what any of this means. Like like I know there's like a, this is very like exper not I don't hmm, I get, not experimental but abstract and dreamlike and narr and it's very it's thematic heavy. Yeah that Mm -hmm. i was kind of like oh i'm not used to like non like this kind of uh non-linear storytelling in the sense of like it's all over the place i was like i usually like need a to b plot because that's what i'm you know i was young and i didn't really understand um it's how you're wired yeah yes exactly and like the open canvas of art and subjectivity and themes and all that kind of stuff and then i first saw it i'm like oh my god i'm just like Oh, this is this is a whole new world I haven't explored, um, and I was kind of, I was uh, I was taken away. It was like, yeah, I, I didn't watch any Lynch before that. None of these like you know more. Um, no Cronenberg. Exactly, these more existential filmmakers, yeah. and so this is a very existential movie. So I was kind of just like, I don't know what to do with this, but I know I loved it. Like I have no idea what happened. I don't have a take. I don't really know what the spiders were. <laughs> Um, then I looked up YouTube videos and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. I was about and, to say, you're yeah. in luck though, because even though like 14 people saw this movie, every single one of them wrote or made a video that claims to explain the ending. Yes. <laughs> it's very much one of those movies. It's, you know, it's become, it's become a big thing in film culture or film, you know, film bro, film culture or whatever. Uh, explain the ending. What does it mean? Uh, mm. Those analysis videos shot by shot. Um, it was very much in that it was very much produced in that time of Mm. everyone needs everything explained to them the ambiguity Um, almost becomes like parody yeah like the filmmaker is trying to get everyone so worked up that they can't get it that it's almost the point they they just can't solve this I mean about this though is that like I usually hate it when a movie does that but like mm -hmm. For for whatever reason, this movie is so meticulously made, and clearly, who like when they were making it, they were like, "This will all make sense. This is perfectly fine. This is completely normal." <laughs> and um, that sense of like peace with the material really comes through in the movie. And so, uh, you know, any other movie that, and you know, I guess we've already brought up spiders and stuff. I, I assume that anyone listening to this were comfortable with full spoilers. Oh, yeah, yeah, unlike you guys, we actually don't do spoiler warnings because okay, we so rarely have done a 2019 movie, so yeah. we don't feel like the spoiler guard is up, you know? Well, so like any other movie that ended with a man walking into a room where his quote-unquote wife is only to find a giant tarantula, <laughs> I would probably be like, oh, fuck this. But like I saw that <laughs> in this movie and I was like, that makes yeah, all the sense I mean, in the world to me wonderful. and i don't know why and i can't explain it but yes that is 100 percent how this movie has to end <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just like it's so in line with its vocabulary yeah yeah because the and whole like movie said, bro- there's a sense of like otherworldliness and like threat and you have no idea what it is and then that happens and it's almost like a release just because <laughs> of all the tension that's been brought up in every mm-hmm. other aspect of the movie it's so tense um yeah even from one with that spider on top of toronto you're like well anything's gonna happen yeah yeah yeah, everything's you know yeah everything's uh everything's um oh fuck what's the word it's all free now there's no restrictions all the 
There are no um, there are no seatbelts. We're just going for it. Yeah. Um, I suppose it was, that being said, it's I mean, from what I noticed on this revisit, it's so sparse with the things that it chooses to include and not include that it, well, it's like, so free. But it's I think that like, people like are drawn like, to this movie as something that they can explain because there is there's so little. It's such a finely honed knife of a story that every seemingly extraneous or um Every piece that's off to the side, you're like, oh, that must be important. So he walks by a mural of like a bunch of people in business suits, but one of them is in red with their arm raised. And you're like, aha, that means something. And like he does his lectures and you're like writing notes and you're like bread and circuses, Hegel, Marx, like all that's clearly because like anytime a, a character in a movie is a professor, you're just immediately like, OK, well, if they're ever giving a lecture to the class, that's just the filmmaker being like, this is what it means. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations. Well, it's like when a character has a movie on TV in the background. Like, there's got to be some hints here. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. this movie has those things. And so you're just watching it. And I think the other thing that really makes the ending work is that, you know, you see Jake Gyllenhaal's reaction. And he has a look of confusion, but almost resignation on his face. And mm-hmm. so his lack of shock and surprise is like a clue to you where it's like, oh yeah, no, this makes sense. Like if this character isn't immediately freaked out by the fact that she's a giant spider now, then you should be fine. Yeah. I think the way it like, Brian, you're talking about like how usually these kind of endings would be like, oh, fuck you. Like, all right, I I get it. Or like, I I see what you're doing, but I, I, I just, it's not for me. I think the reason why this movie is different is because I think, like you said, like it's like a knife it's on um it's such a sharp piece of filmmaking but it's also so meticulous in the sense of it plants the seeds of everything it's doing very you know very precisely you know we see spiders throughout the whole movie it's not like at the end they just we've not we have it like it's not like there is not a single spider in the entire movie and they just and they just uh and you just see Jake see one like a huge one in his room that would have right, been yeah. like what does this that came out of nowhere what does this mean but you know, the very beginning with um, the underground sex, sex dungeon, dungeon thingy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The eyes uh, wide shut Illuminati. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, um, you know, the, even just the uh, like the trolley wires are all spider webby. You see, like, many images, like dreamlike hallucinations of spiders. Mm-hmm. And the then cracked, cracked window. windshield. The cracked oh, window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. You're watching this and you're like, spiders are clearly a thing. I'm just going to keep looking for spider imagery. They're not being subtle about it, but it's not being like thuddingly obvious. It's almost like the movie is like, spiders are important. Remember that spiders are important. We're being quite obvious that spiders are important, but it's not like whacking you in the face with it. So it's it's not trying to be clever. It's not trying to be subtle. It's just it's so deeply woven in. It's like when you see a gun in a Martin Scorsese movie, you're just like, well, they're gangsters. So in this movie, it's like, well, we've already established that spiders are important. And so at the end, you're waiting for it. You're like, have we seen the last of the spiders? And it's like, no, here's a big one. But it's also not the biggest spider you've seen in the movie, weirdly enough. So you're strangely cool with it. (laughs) Yeah, that's Mm. a good point. I think, uh, I mean, speaking of Martin Scorsese, I think one of the few movies of his that I, I'm not really a huge fan of is The Departed. And the rat imagery <laughs> in The Departed is so... Um, it's like the opposite of this. 
that he's I, just kind of like yelling at you. And, yeah, I, I kind of love that, though, because it's such a Looney Tunes way to end that movie, which towards the end became like a very like duck season, rabbit season type really of thing. Yeah. And it, the, the little circle comes in on it like it does on Porky the Pig. And it's just like, all right, yep, yep, there's the rat. And so like I remember that getting like a okay. big laugh in my theater. But like it is it is one of those things where it's it is like funny because you, you i think it goes day to day for me whether i'm like i don't know the rat at the end of the departed might be too much or i'm like it's just the perfect goddamn dollop of icing on top of this cake yeah. i think we should have gotten that at the end of the irishman i think that would have been a rat <laughs> no i mean just so, some sort of looney tunes imagery oh i see what you're that. saying like a porky pig kind of that's all folks <laughs> <laughs> after we see uh frank sheeran in the in the nursing home <laughs> Instead, you just get the five satins singing again. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? So does anyone actually have like a take on this movie? Like, is this a movie that you've tried to solve or is this a movie that you kind of just let happen to you? If I, I mean, I think I have one that I trust the most, that mm. I have the most investment in. I remember seeing an interview with Denis when I first saw this, and he said something about, and if I find it, I'll I'll, po- I'll tweet it or something. He said something about trying to de- decipher the mind of Jake Gyllenhaal. So I think that I kind of like the idea that this is about Jake Gyllenhaal, the person, that maybe it's about how the public maybe perceives him uh, as this cool kind of put together guy who rides around motorcycles and he's you know <laughs> cheating on girls and he's a low life third rate actor like his mom calls him the great Isabel Rossellini and then you have the other side of Jake John Hall who's kind of schleppy and he's not put together all the way he's he's kind horribly of horribly nervous horribly nervous with this apartment that he has and he's always trying to keep on maybe even proving himself in a way um mm. So I, I like that. That may, maybe I'm maybe that's not verbatim. That's not what Denis meant, because I know he's always kept it a little um, secretive and would not spelling it spelling this whole thing out. As so, all good filmmakers should. Yeah, right. Of course. Um, we're talking to you, Darren Aronofsky. And oh. I, yeah, I think I like that the most. That that reading. Um, my take. So the first time I watched it, of course, I was just blown away. I'm like, I don't understand what anything that happened, you know, whatever. Like, that was cool. I dug it. It was tense. Um, I'm done. Uh, and <laughs> I think I watched like a, I think I watched a YouTube video and it's like, oh, the spiders are women. And I'm like, oh, that makes kind of sense. Like, you know, it's like how the character views uh, women is like they're like, you know, spiders getting caught and he's like caught in the web of women or whatever. And then I saw this time and I'm like, okay, I see that. Like, it's like, it can be a little obvious when there, when he passes that one woman in a dream and her face is an actual spider. Um, And like, of course her, his, his pregnant wife becomes, uh, turns into a spider at the end. But I also, but I kind of wanted to look more at the, like, I wasn't really, at this time I didn't really care about the spiders. I really wanted to figure out more of the duality of it. Um, And, I it, I have a few ideas about it in the sense of one I have my mind in the sense of well what makes sense like the what would adhere to the rules of the world and plot and what would make sense what would be the logical explanation that's boring um but like I do like kind of have the idea of how this movie is about 
growth and the cycle repeating itself. He talks about that in um, the pattern in the sense of uh, it, when he's teaching his uh, class, he talks about the pattern of, you know, dictatorship and control. Um, I kind of think, well, obviously he's probably the, the two doubles are probably the same person. Um, it's just very explicit. There is a, you know, it, it would be kind of wild if they weren't. Um, but then again, this movie's wild, but mm. Before, like, the very ending, my idea that came to me was, oh, the history teacher is him post-breakup. Like, this is, like, two alternate timelines in the sense of he he had a, he divorced his his pregnant wife or whatever, or he left, left her because of the cheating, and that uh, Melanie Laurent was the woman he cheated on her with and chose to... Um, he gave up on acting, became a teacher, just because, honestly, his apartment, the history teacher's apartment, is such a divorced, you know, like, I just had a divorce. <laughs> it's bare. There's no there's no uh, television. There's barely any furniture. It's just like there's like just one lamp. Out. Yeah, exactly. And he's slutty <laughs> and he just doesn't care. <laughs> a and lamp. he seems miserable. And he seems bored. And, and I think like, what might put those two together, um, there's that picture. Yeah, that Adam has exactly, and it's rested half. 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 Mm-hmm. But it's it's a weird movie because like Adam doesn't seem to realize who he is. By the way, just to keep track, Adam is the history teacher. Anthony yeah. is the actor. Just that's right. Yeah. So so like it, it's almost like Adam like wakes up in this life and is like, why does this suck so much? Like why? <laughs> Why like do I have like a picture of myself that was clearly ripped? Like why is my apartment such a piece of shit? And <laughs> it is like he's he's the Anthony that like walked out and is like awakening from this fog and mm-hmm. is is suddenly like what the fuck is happening here? And he's also <laughs> somehow like working in parallel towards coming back to his wife at the same time that he is leaving her. Yeah. But it's also it's, strange because it's clear that this is a pat again a pattern of behavior for him because his wife is like you know is that a woman on the phone and he's like you know you think I'd do that again like you think it was a jealous husband it was a man great line reading yeah and um it's just like it's so weird it's like a Mobius strip but like a Mobius strip that is also like folded over upon itself so it's not just twisted it's also like flat on top. And it's it's a really strange like way to say this story, which is basically of like uh, this man who simply cannot appreciate what he has, oh, yeah. and will constantly like draw himself and those around him to like a level of destruction because he can't break his own patterns. And it's pure self destruction. Yeah, it's it's real bad. And um. One of the things like that I thought was like the first time I watched this movie, I watched the ending like five times, <laughs> um, starting basically like with uh, Melanie Laurent seeing the the ring mark, which is new. So again, like there's a part of you that's almost like this has to be like the same guy and he's just living a double life and doesn't realize, but that's not what it is. It it yeah. can't be. <laughs> it's like with the ring mark. Is it's, that your reading that it's the same person? No, I think that they are two different people. I think that maybe like in some weird way they've become like unmoored in time or like are the same person but are like 
wor- working on different levels or man i had at one point like a grand unified theory of enemy and i was gonna <laughs> make a video essay about it and then i saw Ooh. how many other ones there were and i was like i just fucking can't yeah can't i'm just, like, like the party yeah it's unfortunate yeah. um <laughs> which sucks yeah because again i was like oh that's a movie that no one's seen there's not going to be like a youtube video that already has a million hits <laughs> it's like oh but no, all the is. video essayists watched it no one else did but all of the people who would want to do a video essay of it yeah. were the only people yeah. who watched it <laughs> i'm just glad that like it, it at least is one of those movies where it's like explaining the ending to this one makes sense but whenever i see like the ending of Wonder Woman explained, and it's just like, so Steve Trevor was in the plane, and she yeah. he exploded, yeah. and she killed Ares, and I'm like, oh, that was it? That was your explanation? You That's, don't even have, like, a cool I read? saw one for 1917, and my eyes fell out of my head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, you can explain the ending of a movie, of any movie, because if someone never watched it or is an idiot, they might need some help. Yes. But, like, yeah, so uh, it's, it's, um... The when I first watched it and I was watching it over again and over again and over again, the thing that I realized that I like so much about the ending is that the spider recoils from Jake Gyllenhaal, not the other way around. Yes, it's very scared. And I was like, okay, all right, this makes a lot of sense. Like this is he's walked in after realizing that he now has this access to this weird club that the uh, the guy who works in his building was talking about. And he's going to, like, avail himself of that. And the second that he does that, the woman that he is, like, very happy with and is, like, pretty cool take it over the life of another man to be with turns into a spider. And she, like, sees the shock on his face and, like, recoils into the corner because she is now, like, afraid of him because he's going to hurt her again. Not physically, but, like, emotionally. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about the movie that, like, lends that reading credence um i talked about the fact that this is in toronto um though i think there's there's these really cool like two towers that are there Um, yes i noticed that too because like they're identical but kind of different yeah and they're like curved and weird and that's uh the absolute world which is in a uh a part of a city in ontario called uh mississauga uh, which is right next to toronto um, and then Ottawa, which is also near Toronto, is actually where a uh, port, uh, not a portrait, a sculpture called Maman, which is French for um, mum or mother or mummy. It's, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a, a, a nice, polite, cute way to talk to your mother. Um, <laughs> so it's called Maman. Uh, it was made in 1999. And if you ever look it up. It's the spider, it, right? It is the spider. It's the it's That's the right. spider that walked across Toronto in this movie. Um, mm. It's by artist uh, Louise uh, <clears throat> Borgios. I'm probably mispronouncing that, and I apologize. But she has openly stated this mother or this this giant spider that she sculpted was about her mom. Like mm, the whole point of it is to be a kind of uh, m- monument to her mother. Very cool. Um, she also Very has modern. another one that's just called Spider. Um, but her mother was a weaver. <laughs> and her mother, so her mother was a weaver. And she talks about like, you know, spiders weave, my mother weave, but also like your mother keeps you safe. And like spiders, even though they are scary, like keep us safe. Like spiders catch mosquitoes that spread oh. disease. So the concept so the, of the spider is to be. It was be, a compliment? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yes. Interesting. Um. Yeah, so it's uh it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty interesting that like and that's one of the reasons that I think I said you know it was 
purposefully placed in Toronto because all around it are these things that kind of become part of the story and that that concept of the spider uh, being kind of motherhood, but also having that dual nature, which is like you get trapped in its web and then you can't get out and it bleeds you. So like this is a man who maybe was okay with having like a hot wife and fooling around in her, but now feels that like her having a child is going to like snare him up in his web and like take his, his life away. Yeah. Mm. I think, I think another reading of this film you could make something I just kind of thought of is you can view them as two alternate realities in the sense of there was this fork before the movie started, there was this fork in the road where um, uh, Adam or Anthony or whichever, you know, one made the decision. So he came up to the decision. He just cheated on his wife and he could make the decision to leave his wife or stay with his wife. And mm. I think, and you could see that maybe those two tracks are what is shown for the rest of the movie. If, you know, um, if he chose to leave, he becomes Adam. If he chose to stay, he becomes Anthony. And they kind of weave and mesh together because it would make sense because he keeps seeing what, when Adam is with, when he's like sleeping with, um, sleeping not having sex but like literally sleeping in the bed with um uh, anthony's wife he he kind of sees he kind of sees what uh, anthony is doing with melanie he like like he remembers it or something like it's like peering through his mind like he kind of he's experiencing the same thing that they are like at the same time and mm-hmm. so like it, it's it's very strange it doesn't necessarily need to make sense because i'm one of those people who even though like i appreciate like the ideas and like themes like honestly i don't really ever need to figure it out to enjoy it um Mm. but for this one i'm comfortable in the sense of because i feel like things are so particular and so precise and so um so thought of and so carefully crafted that it does kind of invite this idea of it's possible to figure this out and but you, you know you'll never know if it's truly right but you can have fun with it because it's not it won't be too hard the great thing about this movie is it's not smarter than you, but it doesn't dumb it down for you either. It feels like it's it kind of invites you to, OK, we're going to be a little ahead of you right now. But, you know, come along, you know, you, you'll get it. You'll get it. We promise. But it doesn't feel like it's better. It doesn't you know, some movies can feel like, uh, you know, they can just think the audience is way dumber than what the movie is presenting. Um, and I think that's the great thing about enemies, because it doesn't alienate, even though it can be very it's a very alienating idea of the ambiguity of what this whole movie is something that another movie that took a misstep that this didn't was under the skin under the skin i I think was so ahead of me that i could never catch up to it interesting i love that movie no i i like it too i like it a lot it's just um i think it's different from enemy that it's it's just so far out there that I can't piece anything together to make. You I think I got. It. I think I got something, but it's. I feel like I'm always gonna miss something important because John Glazer is so, so much smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, Under the Skin is. Uh, that's a movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I really like it, but it is. It is a very. It it is a very discomforting experience. That you kind of have to work your way through. I think one of the, the pleasures of Enemy is that while it is slower than you might expect a movie to be, it is very enthralling. You, it's entertaining. You, it's definitely yeah. accessible. Yeah. 
It's weirdly accessible. For a movie that ends with a woman turning into a giant spider, it's incredibly accessible. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I think I think Denise how accessible really good it is. At, uh, writing that line between commercial and uh, inaccessible, because you don't think uh, something like Arrival would be so. It made a lot of money. Like I, I think it's yeah, easy it to forget. Huge. It did make some money. I mean, I, I think that you can take all that away once we get to Blade Runner. But you know, it's. Well, I mean, like, there's a reason that he um, that he gets the projects that he gets. I mean, because he he is he has a a sheen of respectability to his aesthetic, but he is not incapable of then working that to become a crowd pleaser and and to be like a a a mainstream hit of a movie, while still you know respecting basic tenets of filmmaking that get lost a lot. Um, I mean, Prisoners, I think, did pretty well. I mean, but that's that's such a that's that is a movie that is almost fighting against itself because it's such a pulpy, just like uh, raw premise. It's like such a Law and Order episode, but <laughs> he's able to invest it with so much just through like the actors and Deacon's cinematography that you you Maybe really find yourself favorite. drawn into it. I think um, that might be my favorite. Really, interesting. It's, just so it's, always, miserable. it's always back in back and it's forth between so that and arrival um i i think prisoners is is just like enemy i think it's just formative for me so i think i just have that mm-hmm. you have a special connection to it yeah like I mean, how my uh, favorite I'm, malik might always be the thin red line just because it's like it was my first yeah, yeah, yeah definitely no exactly um and i think uh, tree of life might be my my favorite mal because it's my first yeah It'll um, <laughs> i am um, I don't know. I, I, uh, with, with Denis, I think that enemy will always have like a very strong place in my heart. Um, because it was the second movie of his that I saw. So with, with prisoners, I was like, that was a really good movie, but I feel like there's probably more to him than this. Like it was kind of clear to me. I remember, I remember when that movie came out, actually, I was like, who like wrote this and who brought this to this director? Like, it seemed like it was a very, it seemed like, you know, this is the type of movie that would be given to, like, I don't know, Taylor Hackford or someone, you know, just like who directed Along Came a Spider? I don't know. But like probably they would have directed something like Prisoners. Um, it kind of feels like David Fincher making Seven a little bit. Yeah, it's like you took a thing that could have been. I mean, the guy who wrote it apparently also wrote the movie Contraband. Yes. So like with Mark that Wahlberg? Lets you know. Yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I remember that poster for some reason with all the duct tape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like putting like <laughs> stacks of cocaine under his shirt with the duct tape. I don't know why I remember that so well. I don't know either, but I mean like that lets you know that like that's the kind of movie that prisoners could have been, but I think Villeneuve like rests his style atop it. And suddenly it's a much more interesting film. And then, you know, uh, Sicario is, I amazing like that's yeah. a great movie oh, great. Like, and that's Excellent. another one where it's it's got a pulpy I think when we were talking about Sicario Day of the Soldado which is a terrible movie or oh. a terrible movie title the movie is fine I said like <laughs> this is like the new Jack Ryan Harrison Ford series like it's you know like Patriot Games clear and present danger like it's just an excuse for like slightly globetrotting adventures with like a vaguely topical twist and like, <laughs> there's a reason that Sicario feels like high art, 
And Day of the Soldado is just like a decentish action film franchise entry with horrible politics. It's t- <sighs> What's interesting though is, and you know, I'm not going to fully debate Day of the Soldado here, but like <laughs> I feel like it realizes the horribleness of its politics and leans into it. That's actually a good take. Like, That's a good take. Yeah, like James or not James Brolin, Josh Brolin in that movie is. Like horrible politics personified. He's like, I've Very got a much job, so. and if you make my job easier through whatever means necessary, I'm gonna take it. And then you have uh, Benicio del Toro, who's like, ooh, I totally get it, but also I'm not gonna murder a child. So, yeah. like, wait, it, I, so I escaped this one, and so that just from the sound of it, that sounds like it totally abandons his character in the first, because he'll murder anything in the first. Yes, um, he will really murder. Like, well, he murdered yeah. the guy who murdered his family in the first. And then the next one, I think, is like he has achieved his goal, is still down to raise some hell. But I think he sees something in this girl that, like, makes him think that it's not what he wants to do. And, like, it, you know, his his turn of heart catches uh, Brolin by surprise because Brolin's like, what are you talking about? This is what we do. <laughs> like, this is what we're like. You were designed for this space. You're the guy. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah. like they like the the movie begins with a series of suicide bombings and oh. one of them is like people who came across the border and are maybe like still on the border which is like a right wing fantasy for reasons to like go into Mexico and fuck shit up is like a whole like secure the border the cartels are bringing terrorists in but like there's a whole bunch of suicide bombings that happen and later on in the movie someone says like we finally found like the other bombers. They were born in Trenton, New Jersey. Like the whole, the, our whole reason for doing this is now pointless. Why are yeah. we putting money into this and giving you these extraordinary powers? And it's like, cause we knew that they probably weren't from Mexico. <laughs> we just wanted an excuse to do this. Yeah. Oh my God. So it is, yeah, it, it is like terrible reasons to do terrible things. The movie. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. There's, there's, it's, I mean, that ending just, I fucking hate so much. It is a you know, preposterous ending. <laughs> One I, like, ugh. what um, was funny is I remember people were so upset about that movie, and I live in a very like minority heavy area, and I was sitting next to like a full Hispanic family, and they were like 100% into that movie. Like it was as though Benicio del Toro's character was like their new James Bond or something. Mm. He's great, but he's and he's great in everything. Um, oh yeah, he's he's fantastic. He looked a little sleepy in the first. I can't believe they had had that happen. I, I, it's like they unlocked a new mode in him. That he's yeah. it's like I can't believe he looked that tired. Oh man, it takes it takes a lot of energy to hate everything so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is like I always feel like he like his characters in movies probably wake up they're fresh faced and then like 15 minutes into their morning routine they've already grown weary from how much they hate everything around them yeah when yeah. it's like 9 a.m it's 9 p.m in their minds you know yeah they're like already yeah, ready to go to spent. bed so. <laughs> they just woke up yeah but i think um, that's that's the power of of denis villeneuve and like he brings a lot of that to this movie and i think this movie yeah. has helped to inform a lot of the things that I've watched from him pre or, you know, after that, um, I'm very curious what he's going to do with Dune. I've never read Dune. I've never watched any of the other Dunes. It's never I know nothing about me. Dune. There's I, I don't the want spice to. must you know, flow. I like I know that much. Yeah. I know I the spices and I know there's like sandworms or whatever. And that sounds pretty cool. I'm in. Yeah. I just don't know. Like, I don't, 
have no concept of like anything about it or what it's supposed to do. So like, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a John Carter Mars rip snorting action movie or if it's supposed to be like, I don't know, one of the later Orson Scott, Scott card novels where it's like, like a Philip K. Dick novel. Fascism. Yeah, exactly. So like, I don't know what we should expect from this, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm interested. He's, he's proven what he can do. He's proven yeah, he, to, to us. He does least. elevate source yeah. material, so it's interesting maybe if we're... I don't know if you could... like. I haven't read Dune, but from what it sounds like, he doesn't actually need elevation. It's kind of like right there where it needs to be, so it'll be interesting what he does with it. Um, He'll have a take, you know, and yeah, we'll just a Dune adaptation. Yeah. It's like what you're saying about how Prisoners feels so basic, or it could have been just just another procedural thriller but it's kind of the same thing Sicario too the first Sicario Sicario. is like it's on paper it's not like the strongest even a Blade Runner sequel you know like yeah like like, what is this doing here but then like well you know like like Prisoners could have been a Dominic Senna movie you know the guy who directed a California with a K and Swordfish and Gone in 60 Seconds like he very easily could have taken that and been like oh okay I get this I'll hire like Sam Worthington (laughs) <laughs> um Sam but, you know i think definitely looks at that and says like i want these people and i think i could make this very interesting and for whatever reason people were down for it or maybe they were already attracted to the script i don't know but that movie is better for having had him and it's it's rare that you can say that um yeah. so precisely because i've seen that particular movie go wrong like a thousand different ways like we were just talking about sicario i mean like you know the first one is just like it feels like this elevated you know um drama and thriller while the second one feels schlocky and um unbecoming a little bit even though there might be some interesting stuff in there i remember Um, when the second one's news came out and i was really i i was down for it if denis were to be involved and nor and not only was he not involved Roger Deakins wasn't involved and Emily Blunt dropped out. So it's like, what the, why even, (laughs) you know, I think maybe Taylor Sheridan wrote the script, but even then it's. Taylor Sheridan still wrote the script. It was directed by Stefano Salima, who I think did Gamora. Everyone's favorite director. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Right. The obvious pick. Yeah. He did the Gamora TV series. It looked like it. I'm just looking at it now. It looks like he did a lot of television. Yeah. I think he does, does. Isn't he directing Tokyo Vice, a few episodes of Tokyo Vice for the uh, Michael Mann show. It's possible. I'm making that up. Might be I don't know. I don't see it on his IMDb page, but I just then I'm making it know. up. Okay. There uh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Were you gonna say something, Jack? Yeah, I I used I lost it. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> God damn it! God, I'll think of it in like five minutes. Um, so yeah, like I'm interested to see, um, of course I'm interested to see Dune, but I'm also, I don't know, it's interesting, it's very interesting, like I'm always, I'm always interested in auteurs who don't write their scripts, usually. He wrote, mm-hmm. he wrote, I think two of his, you know, pre-American scripts, but none of his, not Prisoners, not Sicario, n- not, not even Blade Runner, they're not, he doesn't write them, but yet you could feel the auteur. It's interesting. I think auteurs who don't write their scripts are harder to just kind of spot. Like, oh, this is a person's style. Spielberg this is a person's... comes to mind. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, it is easier to say, like, if this guy writes and directs his own shit, like, clearly he is the dominant voice. Mm -hmm. It's it's um, I think it's it's people like Spielberg and uh, not Tim Allen. Who's the hack? Tim Burton. (laughs) Tim Burton, who like I think is like openly stated, like I can't write a script to save my soul. Mm. Um. And then uh, there was another one that I had. Uh, Martin Scorsese, I think. Martin Scorsese, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you Danny know, they, Boyle doesn't write many of his scripts, does he? Danny Boyle, no. I don't think so. No, I mean he's done two Garlands. He's done a a um a, a Sorkin. Sorkin. Sorkin, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know who wrote Train Spotting. <laughs> he probably did. I think he did. But... Yeah. I think he wrote Shallow Grave too. No, actually he didn't. Let's take a look. Yeah, no, he didn't. Uh, John Hodge. Wild. Because I, mu- I think uh, John Hodge must, must have wrote the novel. Oh, no. The novel was by Irving Welsh. I know that uh, much. John Hodge is, is a guy. He wrote Shallow Grave, uh, Train Spotting, Lifeless Ordinary. Apparently, he was just full time working for Boyle in the 90s. <laughs> he <laughs> wrote the screenplay for The Beach, uh, which was mm-hmm. based off of a Garland novel. Yeah, I was just going to say, wasn't Alex Garland The Beach? Yeah. Uh, Garland wrote The Beach novel, and then Garland wrote, you know, Sunshine. And 28 Days Later, I believe. And then Hodge came back for Trance, (laughs) which is a bad movie. Isn't that with uh, James McAvoy? Yes. I was so excited for that movie, and it was not good. But I I saw that Red Band trailer when I was so young. It still haunts me. (laughs) (laughs) And then he wrote T2, which is actually a good movie that I really enjoy. That not a lot of people talk about. But it is like... I like to do T2. uh, T2 train spotting, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that, that movie is, I, I really love that movie. Like, I saw that and I was like, this is actually, like, a weirdly insightful look at, like, the way friendships change as you get older. Yeah, um, it's kind of like uh, The World's End. Oh, yeah, with the uh, the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> a movie that I, like, hate the end of, but kind of enjoyed the first part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I mean, Villeneuve is, is one of these people who, like, is just very comfortable taking other people's scripts and saying like, okay, now what can I do to this? Like, and, and he, he, he does it. And it's, it's, you can always feel his movies. Like you can feel him there. And I think that's a high wire act to do because you don't want to overpower your writers, but you also don't want to like become the type of person who people are like, yeah, he's a journeyman. He's a workman. He'll do whatever and just turn it in. And I think Boyle, like that becomes a, a a worry with him sometimes. Yeah, he like, struggles I, with it. It's half and mm-hmm. half. Like his Steve Jobs movie, uh, which I think was just called Steve Jobs, uh, is not great. And I feel like Ooh. the script overpowered him there. And he was able mm-hmm. to put like a few of his little touches in with the candid angles and the stuff projected on walls. But generally, I didn't feel a lot of anything in that movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh no, he's slipping. This is bad. He's losing himself. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's well observed. Yeah, that's well observed with Denis. I, I think he's someone that, yeah, he doesn't get lost in other people's ideas. Like, um, he's obsessed. I think he likes obsessives a mm. lot with his characters, and he always tries to go back to that idea, no matter what the story may be. You know, everyone's everyone's just kind of like fixated on one idea. It's kind of like David Fincher, how he's kind of like he likes uh, obsessives too. Yeah, I feel I feel that uh, Fincher and Villeneuve probably would get together super well. 
<laughs> oh yeah. It's like, oh, do you like immaculate compositions and slow moving cameras and characters who spend a lot of time alone walking slowly? All right, great. Yeah, Ooh, so do I. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was it's funny. I was, that. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, oh man, you know, Danny Boyle hasn't done anything since T two. One hundred percent forgot about yesterday, which came yesterday. out last year. Well, you know, I saw the trailer for yesterday. It's also about and... forgetting. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the trailer for yesterday, and it, I just got so upset. Like, this is destined to fail. I do not like this elevator pitch at all. For some reason, I, I think maybe how. I don't know. I don't like how this sounds, but I don't like its earnestness. I don't like. I feel that though. Yeah. I didn't see yesterday, but, but I just knew like something is rubbing me the wrong way that I feel like this should work. Maybe it's just another example of what we're talking about that uh, Danny Boyle sometimes digs his own grave with um, the things that he chooses to adapt. His own yeah. shallow grave. I am. Yeah. I, I have an issue with earnestness in films. Like I love an earnest film, but I, I don't like feeling like the director is crying when they're directing a scene. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I'm cool with the yes. art being earnest. Like, so like, you know, for instance, I hate cloud Atlas. Mm. Cannot stand it. I think it's fucking terrible, but like, I love the fountain. And those are two very similar movies um, that like have like a kind of like high operatic, you know, there's nothing like you guys have seen the fountain, right? Nope. That's the only Darren Aronofsky I haven't seen. Oh, damn it. Well, all right. Oh. The ending of that movie is as earnest as it can be. I was going to like say what happens, but like okay. it's just it's so achingly, poundingly earnest and I'm totally on board for it. But like the end yeah. of uh, <laughs> Cloud Atlas, I'm just like this fucking schmaltzy bullshit. I hate this. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> and, has to be um, done really right. It has I, to Certainly. Yeah, I think that part of my issue with Cloud Atlas is that it was like undercut with like weird slapstick humor and the face technology was really off putting. And there was just like such a high minded like, oh, we're all connected, the kind of thing going on that I just didn't like it. I think it was almost like I think I like my earnestness to be very intimate. So like when it's just Hugh Jackman trying to save his wife's life through like centuries, mm. I'm down for that. But when it's like oh, one good deed ripples over thousands of years until, like, you know, aliens take us to, like, a new planet because we're so kind. I'm like, oh, that's just bullshit. I fucking hate this. Oh, that I sounds can't. wild. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Which um, also have an interesting decade, you know. They have a super interesting decade. Um, I'm not excited for The Matrix 4. Mm. I'm just going to throw that unpopular opinion out here. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think that uh, in that way, if anything could be said about Villeneuve, it's that he's usually very emotionally cold and detached. And I think that this movie uh, excels because of that, because the characters are very emotionally um, ambivalent throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. It, it becomes a detriment when he's doing movies like Arrival or even Blade Runner 2049. But luckily, I think that the scripts again and the actors he's able to fill in what might be his aesthetic emotional deficiencies with the the power of the performances yeah and he also I, makes it like i think like blade runner i think the emotional detachment makes sense because the movie is about what does it mean to be human can you be emotional that struggle of 
how to connect with others that compassion like that's mm-hmm. Kay's whole character in Arrival what is it to, you know what is it like to just feel like completely out of this world like you are detached from reality itself because you're in this totally different realm of of existence um but i think like yeah i, I think that is a criticism that i have heard from people who um kind of uh have different feelings about Villeneuve who uh, actually have some issues with some of his filmmaking style is his overall sense of like cold uh, you know miserable humorless kind of filmmaking um, <laughs> yeah which I kind of I understand but it works for me I think it's just one of those things where it's just like if that's not your vibe that's not your vibe right it's a, it's a similar thing s- that people said against Fincher yeah exactly it, yeah, it's also Kubrick. like if you go so hard if you go so hard into one direction, you're not, you know, some people are just not, it's just not going to be for everyone because it's just yeah. a, it's a very extreme choice and you're either on board or you're not. I think um, another thought I had with this rewatch, um, everyone feels like this is the end of the world. <laughs> um, and I, I think what I mean by that, no one, and I think it just goes back to that idea. He presents his characters as, is very, closed off and um and humorless so the fact that nobody seems to be excited about life or everyone's just kind of like closed in with their characters um yeah it just it just feels like there's a time clock like in the background and we're all just like waiting for something to happen so there's always going to be an underlying tension Mm. um there's no moment of joy that we get to see uh, Sarah Gaden's baby, you know? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. But um, very interesting and mood he has here. There's, yeah. I don't think he uh, achieves this mood in any, any other of this, his movies. I don't... I mean, there's a little Not bit of it here movie, and there. Yeah, but this movie is, like, purely this mood. Yeah. Like, you know, Prisoners yeah. and Sicario definitely have moments where I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of enemy energy coming into it but this is like a pure distillation of that um another just credit of his that you can kind of say is like this is him again taking source material that maybe wouldn't have played as well without his hand um eric heiserer who is the screenwriter of arrival his other stuff is uh lights out um (laughs) something called Extinction, Bird Box, the Sandra Bullock movie that made everyone blindfold themselves. Yeah. And then Bloodshot from this year. Yeah. Best picture, actually. (laughs) Bloodshot is best picture. It's going to win best picture. It's, you know, I I I mean, no question. Yeah. I've got three words for you. The way back. (laughs) Oh. I don't know. Vin might get that. That's another... (laughs) That's another director, uh, Gavin O'Connor, who I think mm-hmm. elevates, uh, you know, genres and and scripts that may otherwise suffer for not having had him. I agree. I will and I'm, a, I'm the accountant. I'm an accountant apologist. So that I think I <laughs> I'm just that. like between Warrior and Miracle and now The Way Back. And this is this is a guy who's the opposite of Villeneuve, who is so tuned into Very the emotion. Emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, you know, what he he's able to also get great performances and stuff, which is helpful for him. But I feel like even with lower tier actors, he could still work the aesthetic punching bag to squeeze a few tears out of someone. Did you just call Nick Nolte lower tier? <laughs> no, I said with lower tier actors, even with lower. Like, I think that uh, 
every like actor in in um what's gonna call it warrior and the way back is like top of their game like great yeah. but like let's say you couldn't get nick nolte like what if you had to settle for frank Grillo. rick multi i don't know james woods you know frank yeah. grillo is good if Why you know how to use him <laughs> yeah frank grillo is very good but you gotta know how to use him he's like he's um, great in warrior like he he's, he's fantastic he's a real awesome pump you up kind of guy yeah i love that movie which so is much. which is another thing i think that uh that uh Villeneuve knows about himself i think that he is very into getting incredible actors that he so can incredible. depend on to maybe fill in some of the, the the deficiencies that he might have. Like I think that Enemy, you know, is lucky to have Gyllenhaal in it, performing probably some of the best work that I've ever seen him do up to that point. He's continued it's hard to be not very to good. Say. I think um, is the is the same year though. I mean, that's always. I think that's always going to be the consensus of the best work, at least maybe for this decade. Um, Nightcrawler or Enemy, I, I, it's Prisoners. hard to say he's been better in, like, I mean, I mean, he's great in everything he does, even, like, the lower tier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't see him giving bad performances. Listen, regardless of what you think of the movie, I love him in Okja. I think... I it's... hated him in Okja so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, but I like when he tries choice, things. At least. He, yeah, he's trying something. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely I, I'll totally some. accept that it doesn't work. It's just, it's... It's not nothing. Um, I, he he did a lot of maturation over the course of his like I think like I love him in October Sky, but you know in that movie he's like a starry-eyed dreamer who's a kid, and then Donnie Darko he's fine in, but I uh, you know I don't think it's don't anything like crazy Darko. to say like well you know he's kind of a overly done weirdo in that movie. The day after tomorrow is when we should have known that he wasn't built to carry a blockbuster. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> he still had Prince of yeah. Persia to yeah. make. <laughs> um, <sighs> but I think like Brokeback Mountain, Jarhead, Zodiac, yeah. that's him putting himself through like a boot camp of becoming like a really, really literally. good actor. Yeah, Joe, no, Jarhead, Jarhead, literally. <laughs> yeah. And then you get End of Watch, Prisoners, Enemy. And then like, yeah, Night, like from then on, like Nightcrawler. I never saw Southpaw. I'm sure he's good in it, even if it's not good. Uh, Everest, he was like weirdly compelling in. Yeah, Everest, he was like a fun supporting character. Yes. Just like sun tanning on the top of Mount Everest. Yeah. <laughs> Again with uh, Josh Brolin. Yeah, but I think I think it's interesting because for a lot of people, you know, um, Sicario or Arrival, you know, and Blade Runner 2049, and then Dune, people are going to be like, who is this director? And I think yeah. that like just watching Enemy is like the answer to that. Like, I think that if like coming as I did from having seen prisoners and enemy first, I was like primed to accept that this guy had this within him. And I think that a lot of people as they continue to like discover him and then go back over his filmography are going to like come to enemy and see it almost like the way that people see like memento or following for Christopher Nolan. It's like, Oh, that's the small film he did before he started directing like the multi-million dollar movies that I love that I think it's are better. Very than much that vibe. Very yeah. much that Something vibe. that I did want to say about Eric Eiserer, um before before I forgot it again, I think the advantage that he gave himself was adapting um, Edward Yang's short story. Mm-hmm. So I think because he had a source of material to kind of piggyback off of, it's sort of like, okay, I'm going to take these ideas and this core mystery and sort of weave it into something that I can find true to myself and then hand it off to Denis Villeneuve. So 
I think it it is kind of weird to. I'm not saying that he's not a talented writer, by the way. Like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, but like it, I just... his, some of his scripts have clearly gotten to the hands of the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that writer of Chernobyl. Everyone oh yeah that came out last summer everyone's like whoa where did this guy come from like this is the writers of the hangover i know uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was like craig mason mazer yeah i think yeah um so yeah I mean, like again the hangover was super stuff. successful so like good for him you know <laughs> i'm glad that i'm glad that he was able to do that probably led up to the uh, chernobyl project yeah. Like maybe he couldn't get out of finance. Yeah, he it's, but he also wrote like a thousand different bad comedies, didn't he? Mm, I don't know. I, I will not. I think I, I think I assume that. <laughs> um, um, I'm trying to see who. So yeah. Um, and then I I have no idea who who wrote Enemy. Uh, Javier Guillon. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because I mean, even though maybe like we're not too familiar with because like a lot of the like Enemy is his one of his films that you know i feel like everyone knows like either the cinematographer or the composer for all of his american films oh blade runner is done by hans zimmer and oh arrival was shot by bradford young you know mm-hmm. his crews are very like established you know even up and i mean in for bradford young up and comer but like very established skilled filmmakers and and talented in their specific department he really brings everyone to their a game um, but even if we don't necessarily know um, the crew behind Enemy, or you know, or they're not as well known, like the score, I think is great. I think oh, yeah. like I, I think the production design is dope. I think the cinematography is great. I love the lighting. I mean, it's like the f- movie is pure tan and beige. I, it's such a weird it's choice for a movie. It, it yeah, really is. Yellow. When I wrote my review for it, I think I, I called it, it like piss and nicotine. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's so yeah. It's so. You know what's funny pan- about yeah, that I'm realizing we called comparisons to him, uh, to Fincher a few times, but he's not like super demanding or he's not so yeah. I haven't heard that. Controlling. I've heard nothing but nice and kind words about the man. Well, Maybe I'm missing a huge criticism and. You know, Amy Adams walked away and she was like, that guy was an asshole. You know, maybe I'm missing something like that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think I I don't think I am. I, I think everyone's just like he's a brilliant, intelligent person who knows exactly what he he wants out of a movie. And I think well, that's I think being that's super a director cool. a lot of times comes down to being a decisive but like still collaborative human being. So like people love working with um Martin Scorsese because he has a, a, def- a definite earnest appreciation for the craft of everyone who's working for him and i hear like similar things about christopher nolan people are like oh chris is such a professional like he knows what he wants he knows how to get it you're not going to get bogged down like you're in you're out it's great fincher on the other hand people are like oh my fucking god if i have to do another take of picking up this goddamn glass you know and he's like i have to strip away the artifice and christopher nolan's like it's a fucking movie baby there's artifice everywhere like i'm just gonna make it nighttime now yeah <laughs> And, you know, it, they, those are both valid ways to go about doing what you want to do. If people are down to do it, then so be it. But it, it, it feels like Villeneuve is, is um, and this is a person, you know, he's a lot like Christopher Nolan in that way. It seems like even if Blade Runner 2049 flops, the fact that he was able to produce it without any trouble and probably come in on time and on budget alone puts him above like 90% of people working in blockbuster films now. 
Sure. Yeah, it wasn't like an Apocalypse Now Coppola situation. It wasn't like I think you know, just it so even, easily could have been. Like, Batman or John Carter or like all these other movies where it's like, ooh, extensive reshoots are needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a they like swap out directors. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's that, you know, weirdly, like, you know, it's it reminds me of like the old studio system where like you'd have Michael Curtis and he wasn't writing his own stuff and he probably wouldn't have considered himself an auteur, but like, you know, people love working with him and he always made a good movie because he just had an eye for it. And he was able to make it happen. And again, I think that Enemy, you know, being as low budget as it was and as weird as it was, but still having like this very mainstream appeal, like this like hardcore staying power is is like a perfect it's a perfect microcosm of everything that would make him what he is, which I think is one of the more interesting directors working right now. Though, of course, like anyone who hates Chris Roland probably hates Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. they both have that same like, oh, it's pseudo intellectual, blah blah blah. But it's like you know, I don't have a problem with that. Like I go to yeah. movies to be entertained, and if if I if I am like lucky enough to have someone who's so adept at entertaining me, while also like deigning to also give some ideas out that they've clearly put some thought into, I'm down for it because I cannot just keep fucking watching Avengers Endgame. Um yeah, I I think I think the reason why I like the pushback. I think I think the 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 connection to Nolan and how he's received is similar to Villeneuve is because uh, I mean again this is not like general audiences this is like film Twitter or critics or whatever like film nerds these are the people who you know voice these criticisms mm-hmm. it, I think a lot of it has to do with the way these directors and these auteurs are deified amongst uh, the community and how it can be a bit much. Um, yeah. like I like the like film bros slather all over Denis and Nolan and they just like and they push against everything saying they're like the greatest directors of all time blah 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 um and even though like I'm a recovering film bro I used to be kind of like that <laughs> um then I'm like oh whoa like foreign films those are cool too and like classics um yeah. and this is film bros anonymous yeah this is I'm yeah I'm recovering I'm not all the way gone like I'm not all the way um rehabilitated but i'm recovering um but like that's i think that kind of movement and that annoyance and that you know just over the top put on a pedestal these are the greatest filmmakers of their time can be a bit exhausting and that's a lot of the kind of just like people roll their eyes when they see tenant you know the new tenant trailer or whatever (laughs) and and they're also like there are some topical criticisms all those like we I watched the tenant trailer before we started recording and I think it was like they like they've moved on from visionary and they've called him revolutionary or something yeah. now like it's, <clears throat> and they have to show shots from the other movies to remind you no this is <laughs> this guy it's a big fucking deal like oh that's another thing that tenant looks like it has that inception had is people being murdered via train <laughs> I don't know yes. I'm a if if this ends up being like a split unbreakable scenario, it probably oh would gosh. not surprise me. Imagine that. It people would I'd lose be there for it. Fucking minds. Oh, and yeah. the Nolan Bros are so much more. Oh, they'll come in their pants. <laughs> the it will be the it, worst day of all of our lives. They would just 
oh, like the moment, like you thought the Avenger Endgame, like theatrical experience was bad. Just imagine just sitting in a theater full of Nolan bros and, you know, like Cobb from Inception comes in, you know, <laughs> I heard that you're doing time reversing. People would just like, they would just like literally pass out. He comes in and he's like, you're in a dream. Um, <laughs> what if it's Bruce I, Willis? What if it's Bruce Willis from Split? <laughs> Oh, that, oh, he's Breakable. actually David Dunn. I didn't die in that puddle of water. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, it's these the, Nolan Sorry, and I'm, and I'm, Villeneuve remind me of of um uh sort of weirdly enough like coming from the TV angle of things like Mimi Leader, who mm. was a, a director of many of the best episodes of The Leftovers. Oh yeah. Very um, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, and then um and then um, she went on to make on the basis of sex. The, um, Everyone's the, favorite film, Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie that doesn't really exist, but still really talented. In. It, it won happened. like two best picture. I think it won best picture twice on the basis of sex. Yeah, and then even like <laughs> there is um, no best picture after that. And then Michelle McLaren, similarly, like really, you know, yeah. just does like such fantastic work. And it is one of the things where like you've got the same writers' room, you've got the same writers, but for some reason you can pick their stuff out. And it is that ability to take what could be like a very shop worn script or a shop worn idea but still like put some english on it that makes it interesting but Brian, i think did you see this latest season of better call Saul? no i haven't don't spoil oh, it my God. no of course i guess i was just going to bring up that it goes for your idea that you know the better call Saul crew has been doing this for so long since like 2008 i think when breaking bad started um mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised. I'll just assume that they're all the same people that have worked since um, the first pilot of Breaking Bad. And they just know this like clockwork. They they know the look of everything. They know how everything is going to be staged. They can handle the, you know, the cart drug cartel side of things and they can do the time lapses and all that. So it's, it's like, I think once you've found the people that, um, that can work together so well. I think it's going to be really, the consistency is going to show. And guess who directed two episodes of better call Saul? Uh, Christopher Nolan, Michelle McLaren. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that, see, that's just goes to show like even, uh, um, you know, just to tie back to looper, Ryan Johnson directed breaking bad, of course. Yeah. Some of the best episodes. In fact, yeah, some really great ones. Yeah, Ozymandias, um, oh my god. I'm I'm looking for the other person, because I was like, there's another person who did The Leftovers and The Americans and Watchmen, and that's um, Nicole Castle. Mm. Oh, she's great. She's mm. so fantastic. Um, I don't know that she's... Uh, I'm trying to see if she's done... Oh, she did Rectify, too? Oh, man. This like She might legitimately be one of my favorite directors, <laughs> just <laughs> off the basis of her TV work. With the golden age of television, I think... I think the auteur theory or whatever, I mean, it's, I think the auteur theory is overused in comment like criticism and commentary about films. But mm-hmm. I think the idea of te- the television director in this golden age of tele- golden age of prestige television is really interesting because like you said, um, Brian, it's the, ins- the idea of you can come in, scripts are written, uh, your P they, they the same PAs, the same, you know, cinematographer, the same, um musical supervisor whatever you come right. in you direct the episode but you still put your stamp on it and still have this you, you can still use the craft to make it your own but also be able to fit in 
of like 12 of a, a, a television show that's had 20 30 different directors well, it, it doesn't feel so homogenous yeah yeah it, it reminds me a lot again of like that contract era studio stuff where it was like you know we've got the mm-hmm. scripts we've got the talent they're all on contract give it to curtis he'll do something with it and then he does something <laughs> great and you know back then they weren't making things to endure and i think that the way that uh, like like uh television shows like watchmen westworld the americans like where they're like 13 episodes at most it, it allows them to have a little more of a say in it you know it's not like law and order where you're like i don't know who directed that and they're given like i don't know <laughs> much bigger budgets like yeah. game of thrones like and one episode of that is like a whole fucking movie like and you so know it's reed Morano was um i don't even know how we got on this topic reed Morano is a, a cinematographer who directed um uh the the uh, handmaid's tale and then mm. she did a very good action film that no one saw called the rhythm section yeah i was gonna say um which i quite enjoyed um and mm. so it's interesting i'm hoping that more people uh will that will happen with that will happen with more people which is funny because i think michelle mclaren was gonna do wonder woman and then was like i can't stand this i'm leaving <laughs> yeah i think yeah well actually no okay, section, yes, great b-side right. yeah. by the way yeah and i think like yeah Michelle McLaren was definitely going to do Wonder Woman. I remember that now. Um, yeah. She's also like supposed to do a thousand. And, you know, one of those directors who, who's always said like who's always attached to like the highest projects, but net, but has like it's like but five years later still hasn't made one film because the development system fucking sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they they get you know it's like it's um it's 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 like the opposite of the Russo brothers. Like the Russo brother brothers came from like Community. And they were like, do you yeah, want to do Winter Soldier? And it's just like, yeah, sure, we'll play ball. We don't give a fuck. Yes. <laughs> and like, <laughs> was know, it really that easy? I, I don't know if it For was. That. They made like, Me, You, and Dupree before Community, which is <laughs> yeah, actual feature film. But besides that, it was that easy. Yeah, oh. they like got pulled in and then they made one. And they're like, okay, you, you, should, maybe you should keep doing this. Do you want to like make the largest film ever made? And they're like, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Do you want to make all the money? <laughs> All, All the money in the money. world. Uh, oh, hey. No, Ridley Scott's doing that. Um, <laughs> I have to go soon. So I don't okay, know yeah, how sorry. we got to the point where we're talking about like television directors and everything. Well, I think uh, it actually... I, I think it does connect to the idea of going in... How with long do we have you for? Through. Oh, I don't know, but it's been like two hours. <laughs> okay, well, we, we'll wrap it up. Um, but no, I think like the just to put a button on it, I just I do think that that idea of maybe directors challenging the whole deification of auteur theory and, you know, the, someone taking the entire film on onto oneself and making it a singular vision, how these, like, new wave of television directors and directors like Denis are kind of changing that and also connects back to the old studio system, like you said. So I think, mm. you know, I think it's all connected. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, th- from the best of my recollection, though, I feel like I went into a fugue state you know, it's we like, were talking hey, about it's a spider web. Can... Hey, that's true. <laughs> We've like gotten this. tangled in our own spider web. Yeah. Um, there's an idiom that's like that, isn't it? Yeah. You get caught in your own web. Or anyway, it doesn't matter. So. Uh, so what I was gonna say <laughs> is that directors who can do that, you know, it's 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 difficult when you're looking at auteur theory because you'd love to have someone like Christopher Nolan. It's like he writes and directs his own stuff. Quentin Tarantino, so clearly, Wes Anderson, yeah. PTA. Yep. 
where you're like, ah, this is excellent. It all comes together. But there's there's something to be said, you know, and I think that the reason that you get like people like Denis Villeneuve and um, and others who, you know, can come in and direct someone else's script and, and not like demand a writing credit you know, it's it's similar to what we were talking about with the Golden Age Intelligence stuff. Like, you, if you have that ability, if you can work in the system, you can still put your stamp on something. Because one of the reasons I kept bringing up television directors is that, like, if you watch those episodes, you still feel that they're a little more special exactly. than the ones that came before. It and at this point, it feels like the same show. Yeah, and at this point, people are probably being tapped because they know that these people are able to pull that off. I mean, like, it's um. So like let's let's look at like Nicole Castle. Her leftovers episodes are the the Matt centric ones, No Room mm. at the Inn, and it's a Matt 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 yeah, world, world, which are two episodes that are incredibly weird and super strange and could fall apart because they are so dependent. That's on... the man I was telling you about. <laughs> <laughs> that is the greatest sign off line. <laughs> Cue the lion. Um, Cue the lion. <laughs> And then uh, for the Americans, Dinner for Seven and World Council of Churches, like, mm-hmm. again, two two episodes that are very dependent upon very precise tonal shifts and a lot of emotion. And then I think did that's how... Did she do how... the pilot for Watchmen? She did. Like she, did the... she did the pilot, and then I think the follow-up, and then she did A God Walks into A-Bar. Oh, great oh, episode. Which is oh just, yeah, gosh. like, but, you know, like, you can... Just a just... god tier. <laughs> Literal god tier. Yeah. <laughs> but like just just like how you can look at enemy and then say like okay now i understand how this guy was able to pull off like blade runner 2049 like yeah. how he was able to 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 carry all of this subtle emotion and this slow tone of like menace and discovery you can look at it's a matt 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 world and say yeah, like exactly. oh okay i understand how nicole uh, castle is then able to seamlessly and flawlessly pull off as audacious a script as a god walks into a bar yeah yeah a man plays god not a lot of people can uh convincingly time skipping just talking about it i'm like i just need to go watch that one episode oh yeah it's pretty amazing um so let's get to our favorite scenes uh do we do, do we have ones at the top of the head or do you want or should i stall yeah you go you stall um i well, since I'm going first, I get to take it. Um, I think it has to be hmm, them meeting each other. Um, in the hotel think, room? In the hotel room. I think it's... it. He's able... The great thing about this movie is, and the great thing about Denis is, he's, he's, such, he's so good with tension. He's able to make the most mundane things, like whether it's just um jake walking in an apartment building or whatever to make it so like tense like this film is incredibly like i'm on the edge of my seat can barely breathe with what's happening because every and it's i think it's the filmmaking i think it's the editing um i think it's there's these sudden close-ups and these sudden jump cuts where i'm just like oh my god what's happening and it makes me feel very erratic and uneasy um and but like even the quieter moments like them meeting in the hotel room where it's not like there's not it's not like a huge huge flash of edits or whatever it's just two men kind of talking walking and like or like you know like him walking into the room kind of slowly and then there's just like these medium shots and then cut 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 um and it's really just like fascinating because it does it feels 
it feels like everything's led up to this moment, but it also feels like a um, like the time space continuum is breaking. And you and it's and I think that's like the idea of the whole thing is like this is unnatural. This shouldn't be happening. Um, and I also just love how nervous fucking Jake is in that scene, how he's able to play. <laughs> I don't know. They, was, he really does feel like they're in the same room together, and that's. I think that's really hard to do. Anytime Gyllenhaal uh, has to play Adam playing Anthony is amazing because he's so Very bad funny. at it. He's so bad. Jake Chill was uh, really good in this. He's really oh yeah, good. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, I guess we just ought to mention that yet again, just because <laughs> it's. It, I mean, like, of course, it's kind of like showy to be like, oh, look at me. I'm playing two characters. But but he doesn't like Jekyll and Hyde it. You know, that's, yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. The, he doesn't make it worry. too obvious which or which is which like one. I, I saw the behind the scenes and he made one be left handed. One is right handed. Something like that. Uh, yeah, I just like know that like uh, Adam is is like, oh, well, uh, uh, you know, I'm just like, eh. And then Anthony's like a full-on asshole. Yeah. Such a like, huge, he's a trigger dick. I think my favorite scene in the movie is weirdly enough the um, the dream of him remembering uh, where there's a will, there's a way. You just took mine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh um, man. It's just it's such like a brightly it's so different yeah. from the world. It's it it is one of those things where you're like. And this villain you is like a real bleak motherfucker. And then there's yes. a will, there's a way comes in and you're just like, oh, so he's totally capable of doing this garishness. And he clearly knows that he's created a very dour world. And the movie just looks so bad <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's like, I always love watching a really good director direct what should be a really bad thing. Um, it's like an intelligent writer writing a stupid person. It's like you have to really hone your craft and be as good as you can be to know how to modulate how poor this other thing is. Mm. So like the overacting of the, the the guy, I guess the concierge, you know, handing over the key and the way that Gyllenhaal stands when he's a bellhop with like the perfect little crook in his arms and just like the bad blocking of like this guy <laughs> seeing this woman it's just it's it's so fun it's amazing it can't be so caricature that it's it's like takes you out yeah even though it is a dream scene but it becomes um, and that's the other thing is like the 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 weird like horns that are happening in it there's yeah. so much going on there that's just like what is this suddenly the score <laughs> is so good it's yeah. they can be like overbearing but understated at the same time it's really dope yeah i think What's mine that? i'm gonna cheat <laughs> Okay. It's whenever he's doing a lecture. Okay. Because I like, I like that he comes in and it's like three or four times and he gets more, um, kind of disheveled. He looks so much time worse as comes. time goes on. He looks so much worse. Yeah. And he's still and a beautiful like, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his first and, uh, lecture is he's on point. The second one is he's like, all right, I've already done this and you're my second class where I'm saying it too, so it's not going to sound as cool. And then he's like, uh. Hegel, Marx, uh, <laughs> everything yeah, exactly. happens He's twice. So exhausted. The first time, it's a tragedy. Oh, uh, I'm going through some stuff, guys. <laughs> yeah. And there's that one time that Sarah Gaydon uh, meets him at the college. Mm -hmm. And I think he walks into a class with nobody in it. And, and maybe that's like a Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. Or at least if I'm remembering it correctly. 
and maybe he just walked in the class when well, he, he didn't does have say one. like oh i have like he, he i think he just puts his stuff down and then is like oh i ha-, like when he's because when he's talking to her he's like i've got actually a class that's I've another great teach. scene though i want to shout, shout that out that's him and her meeting yeah yeah she's uh, really good her she is fantastic in this movie the, the scene where she says how was school today and yeah. he's just oh. like what then she's like forget it <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's so like, good yeah yeah, I'm interested to talk Cosmopolis, but she's really, she's really good. When is that going to come up? I I don't know. I mean, there's got to be some Cronenberg. You know what film I want to talk about? Cosmopolis, everyone's favorite Cronenberg film. Just for the scene where Robert Pattinson gets his ass looked at. Just, just for the, just for the scene. When he gets the haircut, that's it. Um, I read that book, and then I saw that movie, and I was like, well, that movie really was that book, and it worked just as well as I thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. It's funny. I just heard heard Jay Baruchel on a podcast, and he's in that movie. Like, I forgot about that. It's such a weird cast. Like, you have Juliette Binoche and uh, Samantha Morton. Whoa, Binoche is in that? Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I gotta it's watch very it. strange. Like you'll there just. A, um, there was a thing it, about that movie, like it was a Canadian production, obviously, because it's yeah, it's Cronenberg. um it's Cronenberg, yeah. and I think that he purposefully hired Robert Pattinson because he wasn't American because he really wanted Paul Giamatti in the movie, because like in order to like get Canadian tax incentives <laughs> and stuff. Right, Paul Giamatti's in it. Yeah. In order to get Canadian tax incentives and stuff, you have to have like a certain amount of Canadians and you have to have like a certain amount from every other place. Mm. And so like he couldn't have too many Americans in the movie. And he's like, I want Giamatti. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Therefore, I will, I will have Robert Pattinson. I, uh, I have so no funny. notes or bibliography to support what I just said, but I'm almost <laughs> certain it's true. I'll believe yeah, you. I mean, I, I like that. I, or at least I would like to believe that's true because that sounds like... Um, that sounds like a better version than the studio just offered up Robert Benson. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think what would be, the... I, I think what would be even stranger if someone requested Maps to the Stars, because that's like even more forgotten about than Cosmopolis. <laughs> that would, I mean, hey, who knows? People are into, into some would, weird shit. Yeah, I mean, so is in Cronenberg. So, wait, is Trance twenty tens? trance no i think it's like 2012 or 2013 i don't know okay well no like if i'm just curious if anyone fucking chooses that that'd be crazy a dangerous method i think was i think it's that cosmopolis and maps of the stars are his only movies this decade i could be wrong Mm, interesting so yeah trance trance the danny boyle movie is 2013 yeah just imagine if someone chooses that that's that would be fucking wild. Have fun yeah. with that if it happens. I, <laughs> it's I, not gonna be Brian. We know that for sure. I'll All do right. it just to screw with you. <laughs> hey, no, if I were to come back, toes. it would probably be T two. Oh, oh my God. That would, and then that maybe, would be like, under the grace of God, maybe we would actually spend like more than twenty percent of the podcast talking about T two. Right. I feel like every time I'm on here, we end up going on insane tangents. <laughs> like on Looper, you know I think we I had think a long this... rant about cats. 
I think this was more connected than we give ourselves credit for, but yeah. I, I agree. Um, well, I, Brian, would, I just would like to say I would love nothing more to talk Tree of Life with you. If you want to give me Tree of Life, I can always come back for Tree of Life. We'll we'll talk further, but I think okay. <laughs> Tree of Life, T2, like, uh, both of those would be fun. Let's just do both at the same time. Let's find the ways that they connect. That would be a wild combination. <laughs> Look, they're both people looking back on their lives, <laughs> coming to terms with great loss. Robert Carlyle is in one, Brad Pitt is in the other. They're the same movie. Yes. yes. <laughs> Danny Boyle's uh, Tree of Life. Oh, boy. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it we is would a love pleasure. to have you back. Yeah, thank it's you. actually my birthday, so this is like a, oh, a birthday gift well, to myself. Well, well, oh, well, we are so honored to be your birthday gift. Uh, we wow, will put yeah, that this was... on our credit. We'll, like, oh we'll put that, like, we'll put, we'll put a resume on our Twitter profile. Birthday gift to Brian Rowan. That's what we're going to do. Um, I, I'll make sure I plaster that on uh, my wall. Uh, but, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you on the internet? Uh, I can be found on my Twitter at Brian J. Rowan, brianjrowan.com, and uh, the film stage where I host film stage show. And um, if uh, any of your listeners have a couple bucks that they can throw at charity, uh, schmidtspirits.com. I'm doing a fundraiser for my distillery to help make hand sanitizer to be given out for free in our community. That's fucking great. That's really yeah. fucking dope. Um, Jack, where can everyone find you? Um, yeah, I'm Jack A. Draper on Twitter. And my writing can be found at such places like Cineflix Daily, Simple Cinephile. What does the A stand for? I've never asked you that. It's my middle name. What's your middle name? <laughs> Andrew. Andrew? I was going to guess Aaron. I didn't know that. I was going to guess Aaron, too. That's so funny. Wow. Well, yeah, that's good stuff. I was going to guess Aaron. Okay, Jack Andrew. Okay. All right. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, everyone can find me at That's going to be used 100. against me. <laughs> maybe. Maybe There's not. No uh everyone can follow me at clayfilm 100 on twitter on instagram on letterboxd uh you can follow the podcast account on twitter at ett pod hey everyone this is clay just want to let you know this episode of enemy with brian run was recorded about a month ago before any of the protests happened so i just wanted to end it end the episode on one quick note justice for richard brooks justice for robert fuller justice for malcolm harsh justice for toyan salau justice for nikia crawford Justice for Tiet Goli, Justice for Andreas Scordato, Arrest the Cops Who Murdered Breonna Taylor, Defund the Police, and Black Lives Matter. Next week, we have Interstellar with Katie Nolan. We'll catch you next time on Exiting with the 2010s.